Hello and welcome to the Paranormalist Podcast, Episode 2. In the first episode, we introduced ourselves. We talked a lot about just various uh, items that we're going to expand upon, um, especially today. We started talking about ghosts and we're going to kind of get into what does that mean. Um, I'm your host, Kenny Dodson. I'm here with my co-host, Patty Wilson. And we're going to talk about what are ghosts and what are demons. That's really a basic and fundamental question in the paranormal field. TV shows lump them all together, and yet they're exceedingly different. A ghost is a human being who was once alive who is now dead. So it is a person's spirit without their body attached. A demonic is a created entity created by God, one of seven species created by God. And if you go back into the biblical lore, you will see there were seven types of angels, um, cherubim and, and uh, archangels and what have you, each serving different purposes. And if you follow biblical literature on out down through, um, there was the, for lack of a better term, the revolution that was attempted, the coup that was attempted in heaven and suppressed. And that is where demons come from, which are angels who have fallen. They are still angelic beings, in other words. And if you're an elephant, you're an elephant, no matter what happens, they can call you whatever. But an angel and a demon are exactly the same thing. Just one has evil intent and one has good intent and so that is the major difference and they um they function under a separate set of rules than ghosts do um and ghosts tend to be um beings who have something that is unfulfilled either they're in their home they're haunting it because they're confused because they're, they're not aware they're dead or this is their home and they don't understand why people are changing it or who's coming and going or they have something they want to do to interact in the human world. They are most often um, benign or sometimes even quite helpful. And um, they can form relationships with people and care about people. And and there are homes where people have grown to be quite fond of their spirits and their spirits of them. Demonics are a totally different entity. Demonics serve one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to harm God by separating human beings from their parent god and the love of god and we are basically um pawns in a larger game so the only reason that they come after us is because it harms god it hurts him to watch this going on now he can intervene and sometimes does intervene i don't understand why he doesn't always intervene um but he doesn't but most of the time he sends somebody who can help or somebody is found who can help. Not always. There are some cases that the people have passed away throughout the exorcisms or whatever was going on. Um, and so that is the really the big difference. They are totally different entities. They, so they function under different sets of roles. They have different purposes. Um, there's nothing about them that's similar. So let's expand upon that. Let's uh, Let's do the ghost side of things. Um, classifications. There's 14. There are 14. And then they run from obscure things like um, weeping women and banshees and golden boys to full-bodied apparitions um, that are interactive and able to communicate. And for the purposes of what we do most of the time, we either run into one of two categories. We either run into those that are basically um, trace memory, haunting, which means that they just simply reenact 
the same event over and over, or most likely a full-bodied cognitive apparition, a person who's able to express themselves. That's where you get the EVP, the video of things being moved, that sort of thing. Right. So um, I guess just going back to the paranormal investigation side of things, whenever you show up like and and you discover that it's a, a ghost, what are the steps you usually take? Or how do you go about investigating, you know, a, a ghost? Well, um, maybe it's just easier to give the anatomy of a haunt, of, a, of an investigation. The first thing that happens is usually somebody contacts me. They tell me that this is, there's something going on in their home, what it is. They give me an address. I take anecdotal information, which is their eyewitness accounts. Um, and then I give the address to a team member whose job is to look up the history of that ground or that property. And that was their job. In the meantime, I will often go and visit these people. Now, when we visit, um, it's usually a team of two people. There are some specific things we're looking for. We're looking to see what kind of movies they watch, what kind of books they read. Um, so the stuff that they're focused on, what mental illnesses they might have. We try to cover a lot of ground, um, how suggestible they are. And there are techniques we use for all of that. And then I will schedule an investigation. Even if I'm not sure it's a haunting, I will schedule an investigation. Time will tell. And that way the person knows we took them seriously and we gave them a fair shot. And I might tell them, house isn't really haunted. This is what's going on. And sometimes they get mad at you, but you know, we tell the truth always. And um, so then we go through the, pro the process. We have guys who are techies who run all the equipment like you see on the TV shows, the EMF meters, the thermal probes, the infrared, all of the video, the audio, the, the still, all that stuff gets done. We also have a couple people who are very sensitive, who will very quietly walk around and they will have a tablet. They will write down what they see, feel, think, hear. They will then slide it across the table to me. I will be doing the interviewing and controlling the investigation. So for those purposes, until we get the preliminary stuff out of the way, I try really hard to not let myself go and start working with that stuff. I'm really pretty much the liaison with the family, trying to control how they're feeling and give them some, you know, give my guys time to do what they need to do. And then um, I begin to assemble all of the data. My tech guys will say, we had three EVPs of a child in that bedroom. My psychic guy will say, I keep seeing a little boy in that bedroom. And I start putting all those pieces together. And then, because I know the, I know the history and I'll know the, what's happened in the house, what the people are telling me is happening in the house. I'll do a round table with them all quite often and say, I would like Charlie to tell you what he saw. I would like Chris to let you hear what he got. And by doing that, they actually get to hear and, and they're there the whole time. We never do an investigation in a place where the family isn't at. So by doing this, the family gets to see exactly what's going on. And then at that point, it's whenever it changes from our type of investigation to what you see on the television shows. Because at this point, okay, yep, the house is haunted. Now what do you do? Now we have to make sense of this for the family. We have to, in some way, impart to the spirit what's going on and 
we got to figure out a way to make them all live in peace. So I talk to the family. I explain what's going on. I explain, um, you know, what the entity is telling me. And we usually kind of work out a resolution. Um, it is rare that I will tell somebody they have to go. And that usually only happens if they're physically harming others or scaring somebody and they're not willing. Every once in a while you meet a jerk. So if sometimes if they're not willing to work with us, then we'll work on trying to get them to leave. But if they're willing to work, most families don't really care if they stay. If they're nice people and they're not causing any real harm, then they'll say, well, I understand this was your house too. And we can cohabit here. Um, you know, just don't scare my kids. That's usually the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Don't scare my kids. Don't wake me up in the middle of the night. And you're, you would be surprised how being reasonable really helps in an investigation. If it's a demonic, it's a completely different animal. Right. Well, that's the thing about ghosts. They're just humans. So if they were nice in real life, they're going to be nice. And if they're a jerk, they're probably going to be a jerk and, you know, be a lot meaner to the, the residents. Exactly. So, you know, and like I said, most people are nice in life. We really don't meet a lot of really evil people. So we're very fortunate. Um, we don't meet a lot of evil ghosts. We meet people who, if I say you're scaring the children, you need to tone it down. They'll tone it down. And they have that control? Yeah. Like they're able to, I guess, what are the powers that ghosts have? Like if someone looks for signs of, you know, what it is that's, or if they're experiencing things like, um, you know, do they, do they have the ability to not show themselves? Do they have, you know, the ability to be gone for a while and come back? Yes, they have the ability to not show themselves and to be gone. They move things. They will talk, whisper, play music. Um, you know, if they're trying to get your attention, they might open drawers or desks or throw things. Um, but they generally don't do harmful things. Um, there's, like I said, a lot of houses where I could tell you, in fact, one house that I lived in where the ghosts would wake me up if my children were getting sick and go in the direction of the children's bedroom. I'd follow her, and every single time, one of the kids was just getting awake sick. And that was the only time she bothered. Hmm. So, I mean, yeah, that, that means that you don't really see them always unless they want to be seen? Is that, do you think that's how that works? I, some of the time, I mean, like I can sense that they're there right? and, and stuff, but for them physically to show themselves is much more difficult. Not very, I mean, if you look at the, um, what happens in a haunting, maybe 40% of hauntings are visual, 60% are auditory. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you factor in, you know, smells and touching and stuff like that is a little tiny, small segment of what happens in a haunting objects, moving that sort of thing. But the vast majority of what happens is a, a touch, um, my blankets get tugged, or I feel something touch my face when I'm sleeping, or um, something closes the door when I go to the bathroom, or opens the door when I, I, um, I get up in the morning and I know I locked my bedroom door before I went to sleep. Little stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's just like living with a, an, an invisible or mostly invisible roommate. Who may right. or may not want to annoy you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, how do they, like, what do you think it is that allows them to control that? Like, um, oh, I feel like being seen right now, or I feel like grabbing this thing. Um, if they can't 
do it all the time, do you think it requires more energy? Does it, uh, the will to do it, I guess? I think being seen is an accident more than anything, to be honest with you. Um, I think they, they, they seem to manifest right along the infrared spectrum. So either one of two things either happens, either they're, they're for some reason manifesting just um, inside the, or outside of the unmanifest of the infrared spectrum in an area we can see, which I think is really more accidental than anything. Mm -hmm. Or there are people whose eyes can see slightly further into the infrared. One of two things is occurring. And of course, every time they manifest, it does take energy. That's why you'll often hear people talk about how exhausted they are. Right. Every time there's, an, there's a sighting or what have you. And as for moving objects, I think that that has a lot to do with, um, <clears throat> excuse me, with their, um, their energy levels and their anger levels and what have you. Do you think they're able to steal energy or yeah. feed off of the families? Yes. More negative ones do that than positive ones. I'm sure, yeah. Um, I think the positive ones are more polite. The negative ones will use whatever's available. Sometimes use it gleefully. Right. Well, have you ever, like, had enough time to chat with them about it? Anybody saying, like, how do you do that? Or, I don't, like, what's it like to have ghostly powers? Or I've anything? never asked that question <laughs> Not all the time I've done this. No, really? I never thought about it. Oh, because, well, it's just reminded me of when we talked to Mrs. Kitzmiller in Gettysburg. Um, and I was like, you know, do you know what it was like to die? And she said yes. And that she was surprised that you don't have to move on. You have a choice right. on what you do after after death. So uh, I just continue going, well, after death, then what happens? <laughs> like, do you, how do you start discovering your ghostly powers? Do you just know you have them? Like, what? I think people just accidentally discover them. From yeah. I can tell because, um, and like with Mrs. Kitzmiller, she's very um, vocal and very proud of the fact that she's not going anywhere. Um, but uh, yeah, I never really thought to ask anybody that. I just, you know, work with what is usually. I have to ask somebody now. Yeah, I wonder what the, I just think about the insight of you know if anybody knew what that was you know and it may be trial and error yeah i i mean i don't know i'm, I'm just like thinking of jedi training <laughs> like oh i can move this with my my thoughts or something i don't know but i would think more than more that it would be trial and error as, as they go along i would think so too that makes sense so um yeah, I mean, what, what else goes into it after you uh, discover them there? And if if they would need to be removed, what happens? One of the things you have to do is look at their psychology of who they are, how you're going to best approach them. A lot of times their religion is important um, because suppose you have a Native American spirit there. He's not necessarily going to recognize um, a Christian background. So I might have to use a ritual that he would recognize as a cleansing ritual. Um, somebody that's a Catholic might not recognize a Protestant ritual. So by kind of figuring out who they are psychologically and, and religiously, sometimes that helps me to better approach them. Mm -hmm. I might have to intimidate and say if they were Catholic, you know, I'm going to either you go now or I'm going to get a priest. I actually had a case where I threatened to tell that the person was an alcoholic if they didn't leave because they were being very aggressive with the family oh. and they were a closet alcoholic 
And I'm like, you know what? You've had a good rep in this area. I know you hid in the attic to do your drinking and I'll make you a deal. I'll keep it quiet, but you got to go to the attic and not bother this family anymore. Because it was to the point where the family was talking about having to leave their home because of what was going on. Hmm. And they didn't end up having to? Nope. Like it kept to its word? It did. Okay. Because for them, they were invested in their in their reputation. Yeah, why, why would they... Okay, so um, I'm thinking about the story that... One of the stories you did most recently with my friend that you helped out. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a spirit in the only part that they didn't renovate in their house, mm-hmm. in this little cubby hole. Why would he want to be in there? Like, why, <laughs> like it, does, well, it doesn't make sense why you just want to sit around forever in a little tiny space. Like that ghost going to the attic or whatever. To sit in the tiny space, exactly. But um, it wasn't renovated. It was familiar. Whereas they had completely remodeled the rest of the house and it was unfamiliar. So it was not as comfortable for them. Because they like, like all of us, we like something that's comfortable. If you came into your house one day and the entire house was completely gone, but the little closet down the stairs was still the same. You'd probably from time to time retreat to the closet thinking this is all that's left in my home. Yeah, definitely. But I wouldn't stay there forever and all eternity. You know, But like... we don't know that he will stay there forever and all eternity. He hasn't passed that long ago. Right. And he may just, you know, find his way on. And we offered it to him. He just wasn't ready. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I just think like, oh man, that would be so boring. <laughs> you know, but uh, do ghosts experience time in the way that we do, do you think? I don't think so. And the reason I say that is because um, I've had several conversations over the years with spirits who, um, particularly in Gettysburg, um, who have expressed to me, people are rude today. And I'm like, why? Because they won't talk to me. And then I will point out things like, well, maybe they don't see you. Mm-hmm. Um, have you noticed people dress differently? And it takes them a while sometimes to rationalize this outward And they'll go, oh, they don't talk to me now because they don't hear me. That's why. So I don't think that they recognize time and um, they're conscious in exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. I think they're almost like they're they're, um, traumatized in some way slightly. And... um, so they're not they're not making sense out of things and they're not seeing time go by. In fact, I actually did a place with a friend of um, some friends of mine in Virginia. It was a battlefield from the Civil War, and it was a Union battlefield of all things. And but above that, there was another layer of haunting which went back into the 1700s. And one of the spirits there, I kept saying, we kept saying to him, "No, it's been over 200 years. You need to go now." And he kept saying, "Prove it." So we ended up getting a calendar and laying it out on a desk and saying, look at the year. Look at our clothes. Mm -hmm. And he finally said, oh, my God. A long time has gone by. Yeah. And then he was willing to cross. Well, was he one of the stuck kinds? He was stuck because of the trauma of the situation and because somebody else was stuck there that he loved. Mm -hmm. So he stayed with her. That happens a lot, doesn't it? It does some. It does. Um, you know, sometimes people stay behind because they are waiting for a loved one and some that as a living loved one. And sometimes people stay behind because the traumatized loved one hasn't crossed over. So they'll wait with them because they love them so. Right. And that's a wonderful definition of love. I'll sit with you till you're ready. Yeah. Well, how often do you experience like, 
you know, more than one ghost in an area because they were related or just whatever, whatever the reason being, I guess. I would, I've, I've experienced it on a few occasions. Um, we were in a place called Hillview and encountered a woman who had Alzheimer's. It was a nursing home at one time and an older gentleman who took her arm and it was very specific the way he held her arm. And I got the feeling he, he walked her along quite a bit. And it was during actually a radio show and they had brought in former staff. And the minute I said, this is who I see and this is how he held her arm because he had a very specific way of doing it. Um, the one woman gasped and she said his name and here it was a couple who had been there and um, she had his wife had Alzheimer's and so he stayed behind because she was still confused. And so what we ended up doing was, um, I have a history with working with Alzheimer's patients. So I started talking to her and trying to figure out a way to express to her that she needed to cross over because he wasn't going until she did. And um, eventually was able to get her to cross. And he turned around, smiled at me and said, thank you. And he went with her. But the people knew exactly who it was. And in a very interesting side note, because Hillview was abandoned and they left a lot of stuff there from the patients. We're coming out of the main um, into the main entrance area after this is over with and laying on the floor are two old Polaroid pictures. And when one of the ladies picked it up, it was the pictures of that couple. They were not there when we went in. And what are the odds that those pictures would have somehow fallen out during that period of time? And they actually gave them to me as a keepsake because they felt that he had left them there for me to have. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. So the Alzheimer's like didn't get better normally i see that it does but for her for some reason it held on yeah well so the way you say like the way we perceive spirits um i think i've heard you say before that it's the way that they perceive themselves perception is reality exactly whatever you perceive is what happens that's why ghosts are held at a battlefield or in a house or whatever it isn't that they literally cannot get out of there it's that they perceive that they cannot leave there so whatever they perceive for themselves is what is. But that's the way it is for us as living people too. If we perceive ourselves as being unsuccessful or ugly or whatever, we live our lives that way. Mm-hmm. And so do they. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, they're human also. But it, it also goes to show that that death doesn't necessarily fix everything. It doesn't. And one of the things, like when I said, I, I've said to you before many times, I do not like to do readings. And one of the reasons I don't like to do readings is because um, people assume that when they die, when somebody dies, that that person suddenly becomes omnipotent. I remember this one lovely lady who came to me and said, you need to talk to my grandma. I need to ask her a question. And I agreed. She was very adamant. It took weeks and weeks of nagging me to convince me, but I did it. And then finally, we were talking to grandma and she says, ask her if I should marry the guy I'm dating. And I looked at her and I said, did your grandma know the guy you were dating? She's like, no. I'm like, well, then what makes you think she should know whether you should marry him or not? You know, talking to the dead is not a shortcut for living your own life. Grandma doesn't have any secret insight that the rest of us don't have. Right. And she was totally shocked because she just sort of assumed that if you died, you suddenly knew everything. But it isn't how it works. Um, if you have prejudice in this life, you'll carry it through. Mm-hmm. If you are um, illiterate, you're probably going to still be illiterate. Um, if you have mental, emotional, psychological scarring, 
it's probably going to all still be there. That trauma is going to be there. And somebody has to deal with that trauma when you're coping with these people. Well, I think what they're referring to in that situation is like being up in heaven and always being able to watch over you. So like they're watching you like a movie. I mean, do you think that it's more of since they're a conscious being, they have to come back because our, our loved ones do come back? Our loved ones do come back, and I do not believe they watch you from heaven. And I think that there's even a place in the Bible where it talks about there being a veil between the two so that they don't see. Because it would drive you crazy. If you were sitting up there looking at your children and something horrible was happening, wouldn't it drive you crazy? Yeah. Well, it's like, are they seeing me go to the bathroom? Are they, you know, <laughs> I think that's like one of the people's biggest concerns. Like, are they seeing the negative things that I do, you know? So, but no, I, th I think, and I think they also have, um, there's a sense of propriety. I remember being at a house, uh, building a hotel in Gettysburg and, um, a couple that we were visiting was renting the room and, um, I was talking to one of the, the spirits, the house, the place was very well known for being haunted. And I was talking to this one ghost and she whispered to me, she said, tell them I hide in the closet at night. And I said, why do you hide in the closet? And she said, to give them privacy. And I was like, oh, okay. So I said that to them. Yeah, I said, she wants you to know she stays in the closet at night to give you privacy. Right. Because she felt that it was wrong to sit in there and watch them sleep, to be moving about them whenever they were sleeping. Right. So that was, she was a nice lady who had some morals and scruples, and she just decided she wanted to let them know she was respectful of their privacy. Yeah. And do you have to like lay out boundaries sometimes for... A spirit like, hey, sometimes. don't, <laughs> don't well, come sometimes, in here. I mean, there's a, a gentleman who haunts at one of the houses in Gettysburg that I, I, I go to the ghost house. And he's um, a little slow. And he'll follow you to the bathroom. So I actually years ago said to him, his name's Billy. And I said, Billy, stop. You can't come any further than the door. And he said, why? And I said, would you like somebody to watch your mommy go to the bathroom? And he's like, no. I said, well, then that's what you're doing. You're trying to watch somebody else's mommy go to the bathroom. Yeah. And once I got that through to him, he now stops at the door for everybody because he now gets that that's not a nice thing to do. Right. But he just needed somebody to explain it to him. Yeah. And a lot of ghosts that are like more old fashioned are probably like that one that hid in the closet, right? Yeah. They're probably like, okay, this isn't right for me to see or this isn't, you know. This um, isn't right. This isn't fair. Yeah, yeah. But most spirit, I mean, like I know most spirits step out. They'll step out at times. They are they are cognizant of the fact that they don't want to be go beyond certain bounds. And then there's other ones that are just hilariously funny and do the funniest stuff. I had a house that um, where the ghost liked um, the old guiding light soap opera and she'd turn the TV on and watch it. And they'd come home and it would be on the guiding light. And they're like, really? We turned this off before we left. But that was her thing. Really? And it was always like the likes, same like show. Yeah. Same time. Well, yeah. I guess they have the concept of time with clocks. So it makes sense. <laughs> oh, my soaps are on. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. So, okay. So we talked about the, uh, the dead humans and how they're perceived and all that stuff. But... Um, I guess to get in the more darker topic, um, demons can pose as ghosts they and, can. and often do. In the beginning, um, you know, nobody would be welcoming, welcome a demon into their home on purpose as a general rule. Mm. There's a few wackos that would do it, but most people wouldn't. So what they do is they present themselves in a way that is more 
genteel or more pathetic. Um, as a small child, most people will have empathy for that or a woman who cries, something like that. And they'll start out that way and they'll get that sympathy and the emotional pathos, pathos going and, and what have you. And then slowly they'll start turning up the heat and little things will go wrong. Um, things like suddenly they're touching you or things are moving or there's just something that's uncomfortable about it. And then it starts to build until you begin to realize that this was a show and they're now about to show you who they really are. And then that's whenever people start calling for someone like me because they start getting frightened um, because it's not pleasant anymore or it changes its shape entirely. It might uh, turn into, um, might go from a small child that you know, you're thinking it's a pretty little boy and then when he turns around, he has no eyes. Or his teeth are black. Just to terrorize them. Just well, because them. demons never can present themselves as perfectly human. So there's always something off. Sometimes it's really small. Sometimes it's huge. And it is very frightening and it's very disconcerting and it throws them back. Um, the person back when they're seeing it. I mean, I'm, I don't know about you, but if I thought I was going to see a little boy ghost of a five-year-old little boy with blonde hair and he turns around and he has no eyes, that's pretty disconcerting. Right. I don't care who you are. So then that f starts to build the fear factor. And what they're doing is they're wearing the person down emotionally and psychologically. The idea being that they'll come in low and slow, start working on this person and wear them down. Then there's, you know, this, there's different stages that progress to possession um, being the last stage, um, oppression, obsession, possession. And they're working their way through this. They're terrorizing this person. They're demoralizing this person and trying to defeat this person in their faith. So it becomes um, a psychological warfare and sometimes a physical warfare. If you're talking about an incubus or a succubus or something like that, that's a sexual warfare. They'll physically attack the person and sexually molest them. That's dark. It's exceedingly dark. And, I, <laughs> and I've seen those cases, you know, where you come into the house and they've got scratches down their back or their bruises up and down their arms or bite marks on them. Um, I, I did a case where the man would, in his sleep, try to strangle his wife. And the house had a history of three murders. Mm -hmm. So it was probably the same one. It was probably the same thing, attacking person after person. Um, so they don't necessarily move on. They can, they can stick around in a house just like any other spirit. They can, but it's because it's fertile ground. Hmm. And, um, you know, they're creatures of um, opportunity, really, as a, a general rule. Yeah. That's why, you know, some of these hauntings, you know, that are really bad, you'll hear one family has a huge amount of problems and then the next family moves in and there's nothing. Well, I think there could be a couple things at play. Either the they can't at um, attach to this family because the energy's different or it could be that it's a demonic and they just aren't they've just moved on. It's just not there anymore. Okay. Um so like from what I'm hearing, it sounds like for ghosts, it's a little, it's kind of hard to show themselves. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it sounds like 
maybe whenever somebody shows up as like a little girl or whatever, and they're really chatty and they're able to communicate pretty, you know, convincingly to the normal person, they might be a demon instead because they're just so much more powerful. And, and, and there's a lot of other little factors. Like we start looking for things that are wrong. We start listening for specific things. Um, the energy around them is completely different. It is very, I mean, it, your hackles will go up. You'll just know there's something wrong. This I don't care if this is a little girl. There is something wrong. And as soon as you start pushing at that, then they'll like pop and show you who they really are because they're annoyed that you're going to break their, their little spell over the whole situation. And um, they might attempt to frighten you enough that you'll go away. And um, that becomes an issue for you. So you have to be prepared going into every site, the vast majority of which do not have these kind of cases. I've, out of probably 100 cases, five that were like that, that were seriously um, demonic and dangerous. And, you know, each one of them, they appeared at the beginning, very small, very benign, mostly as children. Once in a while, it'll be a woman, but mostly as children, because there's so much compassion in our human nature for another child. And we're thinking, oh, that poor dead child who died here and can't find his mommy. So let's be kind. So we start talking to them. We start giving them energy and what we're doing is we're feeding into them. So they're, they're basically asking for permission. They do stay. in a weird way. Um, they don't have to, but a lot of times they will try to get your empathy first mm -hmm. and they'll try to make you, want them there and then they slowly just change the 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 timber of what's going on little by little so they might there was a case i know of where the little boy would come and hold her hand at night and she thought oh that poor little fella he's so scared and alone and i'm a mommy and i got boys and so you know he comes and holds my hand and then one night he slapped her and then it went from there and then it got very physical and it turned out to be an incubus case, which is a sexual demon case. So what do they look like? Depends. You mean in their natural form or? Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, you see the movies and is it anything like that? Or are they more human than that, than monster looking? Well, first of all, they can shape shift. They can appear as a person. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, if they appear as a person, then they're never perfect. Something will be wrong. They walk with a limp. They have a bum arm. They have no eyes. There's something. Mm -hmm. um, they can't, they're not allowed. One of the rules is they're not allowed to perfectly mimic a human being. When they appear in their own forms, they can be quite hideous and terrifying. And yeah, they, they do look sometimes quite very much like what they say. Black shadow people who are darker than dark with red eyes. Um... The, one of the ones that I saw, I remember he had a rain cap on, like an old rain hat, a, a cape, a watch fob, and a pair and a blue pinstripe suit. And I knew he had once been amazingly beautiful, but when he looked up at me, his face was rotted. And he, he it was a great shock to see such a rotted face with maggots moving through it. And um, he did that because that would be terrifying. And um, that was his persona. But he showed himself that way to four different people. So that was a persona he preferred. So they're 
may not even be a natural form. It just... I think there must be at some level, but I don't know that they show it, at least not near the beginning. And at any level, they are always an entity that's a being of energy at some point mm -hmm. because they can enter you. Right. Yeah, how does that differ from... So like when you talk about ghost possession versus demon possession, how how is it different? Or is it basically the same? Well, I mean, in some respects it is the same because there's something else taking over a human being's body and using them. Ghosts tend to do so, and I think they're much more common than demonic possessions. Um, and uh, there are actually some really good books written by psychiatrists on ghost possessions where they actually figured out that, that what was going on was not a multiple personality or um, anything like that, but actually a person who was once alive and now dead who was using that body and pushing that, own pers that person's own personality off to the side. Um, the demonics only use you because you're a pawn. They're, they don't really care about you personally at all. Their only justification is that they're using you as a way to get at God. So they will damage, harm, kill, maim, all in the name of revenge and hatred of God at the end of the day. Um, ghosts use you to gain something to gain something like if they were an addict um lower like what they call lower level energies which are people who are addicted to things like sex or drugs or whatever um they often will try to jump into another person's body and use that person's body as a vehicle to continue the addiction that makes sense so what are the roles then so you said there's one role one or one of the roles is you know, with, with demons, like ghosts don't have those roles. Ghosts don't have the same. They, they deal more with psychology than right. like, this is the way it is. Step one is this step two, you know? Um, so what, what are the roles that they have to live by? Demons. Demons have, um, at the end of the day, they must submit to human beings. That is exactly how it is written. If we use the name of Christ and believe that's the most important part the believing. Um, you have to have faith. I mean, every relic that's used, like holy water or um, sage, any of that, that's a relic. It only works because there's faith. Faith is the driving force. And that is the thing that will drive them out, is the faith of the person who's doing it. So a person who doesn't understand how to use their faith, a person who doesn't understand how to use those relics, a person who um, doesn't have faith should not attempt this. Because even with faith, you can still get hurt. It becomes a, a clash of wills. How strong your faith is versus how strong their power is to control. And that's really what it comes down to in the end. But at the end of the day, if you have faith and if you are doing this the right way and you're using the right um, tools and you're doing them in the right fashion, then they have to submit and they know it. And so, it's that way all the way from the biblical times on. So they just leave? Eventually, you can either make them leave or you can bind them out. And either way, they have to go. Um, if you bind them out, that binds them back to toward, toward hell. Um, a lot of times they'll leave first because then they can wander and try to find another person versus having to struggle with getting back from hell. So, like... I don't know. <laughs> That's a lot to take in. It's a lot of dark stuff. Um, 
And it is, but unfortunately, there's got to be a few people out there who know how to do that and who understand it because when it happens, that's the most isolating thing in the entire universe. I mean, lots of people have haunted houses, but you try telling somebody that you're being um, attacked by a demon. Worse yet, you're being sexually attacked by a demon. You see what kind of crazy they think you are. Yeah. And, you know, by the time people get to me, I remember this one lady saying to me, I went through 16 ministers and priests. My own priest handed me a bottle of holy water and said, when it attacks, sprinkle yourself with holy water. I had bites and scratches and it raped me so bad I bled. How do I sprinkle myself with holy water through that? Yeah. And so they're desperate. They're also isolated and completely alone. Um, I remember talking to a woman who said she sat for an entire afternoon in the cold winter rain in her car watching the doors to a psych facility, um, thinking when I walk through those doors, I'll no longer be a wife, a mother, a bus driver. I'll be a crazy lady. Mm -hmm. And she got all the way to the doors, put her hands on the door, and then something in her, her just said, no, this is not going to happen this way. You're going to find somebody. Eventually she did. She was very fortunate. She found the people she needed. That was not my team. It was another team. Um, but she found the right people. She got the help she needed and she survived it. But it was one of the most isolating things. That's what I hear from people all the time. Who do I talk to? Who do I tell? You can't tell your spouse because they're going to get sick of it and say, oh, stop it. Because they can't help. They don't know what to right. do. So they just, you know, your priest, I've had ministers look me straight in the face and say, that's not my calling. I'm not dealing with that. It's too scary. Mm -hmm. um, family members, your kids want you to be a normal mom or dad. Your family's like, oh my God, he's always been a drama queen. You know, or and they just want it to go away because how do you deal with it? So they make fun of it and they belittle you and then you get quiet. Yeah, well, it's the same thing as the ghost situation where I, I was saying before that, like, you know, you people believe in life after death. So why wouldn't you believe in ghosts? And then at the same token, you know, they if if they're church going folk or whatever, they believe in demons and hell and angels and heaven and everything else so why would you poo poo a, a something with demons because it's painful it's hard and you don't know what to do with it and yeah. you don't want to get into that that's why priests and ministers will often say they don't want to do it because they're afraid of it um it's not my calling i used to get mad at them for that and now i get it it's just scary and you know, it isn't what they do, I guess. And and I've had ministers and priests call me and say, there's this case and it's it's beyond me. I don't know what to do. So I, I heard about you or a friend of mine told me about you. And could you go and talk to them? Well, do any of them really help? I mean, are there ones out there that, that are trained in such things? Like There are some, I mean, there, there is certainly a classification of priests who are trained. Right, but are they accessible? Uh, I mean, most are, I assume, in Europe somewhere. No, there are, I mean, there are a lot of exorcisms that occur in the United States, but, um, you know, Catholic Church requires, uh, they have a set of criteria that right. you have to get. You have to be Catholic. You have all these different things that have to be met before you can get to them. It takes a long time, sometimes years, to get to that point 
So that's a huge struggle. Sometimes the families don't have that length of time. Um, there are some lay ministers who do a great job. There are um, some ghost hunting groups that do a great job. There are a few. Um, you know, because of the popularity of, of people and sh of shows and, and what have you, now people know about uh, John Zaffis and they knew, of course, about it, the aunt and uncle of the Warrens. And um, there is there are, there are people who can do it. Um, and there are ministers who will do it. Um, I just really will counsel against getting too far into any kind of religious situation where it becomes um, dictatorial. These people have to do it because it's the right thing to do. And they shouldn't be putting you down and they shouldn't be. And I've seen that too, you know, where, well, if you hadn't done blah, 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 you're a sinner. Dude, we're all sinners. According to the Bible, we're all sinners. Yeah. Don't be, if you got anything like that, just kind of go find somebody else. Yeah, totally. <laughs> what, like a you brought this on yourself type deal? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the sad part of it is that most of the time, they don't bring it on themselves or they didn't know they were bringing it on themselves. It wasn't a willful thing. Like, I want to be possessed by a demon. Right. It wasn't that at all. It was subtle. It was, I messed with the Ouija board when I was 12 years old. And then 14 years later, it comes back mm -hmm. with a vengeance. I've had those kinds of cases. Um, I was a kid and I was experimenting with Wicca or whatever. And I've had those cases. Um, and sometimes it is as simple as you just happen to be a, a gentle soul that they decide to, to batten down on like they're a predator. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for prey and you just fell into their sights. Is that who they typically go for? Is yes. gentler people? They go for gentle people. Or faith, faith-based people? And definitely faith-based people. You will see, if you look down through the litany of people who have um, famous cases of possessions, most of those people were decent, nice, kind, gentle, loving people. Most of them religious in some respect. Well, like, there are other ways besides, like, Ouija board or being already in the house or... Uh, getting invited in or anything like that you you talked about like if there's a knock at the door and there's no one there which is an invitation or, yeah um like you often have cases it'll start with um i don't know this all really started right around the time that that, that we had the pounding on the door remember the you know harriet about the the pounding it sounded like baseball bats on the side of the house and i went out that night and there was nobody there and the next day stuff stuff started happening and it's, it's their way of getting an invitation. You opened the door, literally. Right. Um, you opened the window to check it out, literally. And so to them, it was enough. And revoking that invitation is really hard. Um, but they'll trick you into it. They're tricksters at times. And um, like they trick you with the, the empathy. Oh, you poor little thing. You can stay here. You know, you're just the spirit of a little boy. You can stay with me and then boof you got it right i mean how do they how, how do you know the difference to a normal person i guess between what's a typical haunting and not like what can you do you know like to to protect yourself from yeah. because if you hear baseball bats on the side of your house right. you're gonna go don't, out don't do, i don't go you, out uh, <laughs> <laughs> like it's funny my kids have grown up with this and like um like I remember um, something happened at my one son's house and he said, it sounded like the tree fell beside the house and she wanted to go outside and I yelled, no, wait till the morning. Uh. <laughs> He's like, I remember those cases, mom. Well, is that a key? I mean, is light 
like sunlight anything to I, I think um not responding to it in the in that time frame is what it's about okay because if you waited till the next day to go out but then the invitation has been revoked right but they're not able to force entry like is that against the rules well, them? they can trick you by being a child or right. something. Um, but they can't like break a window and climb in or like something. No, they don't have to do that. But they they usually find like there are all these obscure, subtle things and you look back on it and you're like, oh crap, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And then it's all the way from, like I said, playing with a Ouija board or um, some stupid game to um, something you might have said to the, the pounding or um, it portraying itself as a, as a pathetic child or something and and you inviting it to stay what is it about ouija boards like what what is the problem with ouija boards no i mean i know Um, i know what the results are but like why why it's just like a it started as a board game why is it a pro like an issue Well, actually if you take the history of ouija boards all the way back they were used in biblical time a form of them okay Mm. and um they were used for divination, which is divining the future. Um, and it was supposed to be, the function was supposed to be that a spirit would come and tell you the future. So. So is like, is that the real problem? Like the game itself isn't the problem. It's the fact that you're calling to things. And you don't so. know what you're calling to. Like if I'm ghost hunting, I will specifically say, and I tell people this when I teach them ghost hunting. Um, don't say, is there anybody out there that wants to talk to me? Say, I would like to talk to somebody who's lived in this house. Mm-hmm. That that certainly narrows the field. Right. Uh, if you're on a battlefield, I'd like to talk to the highest ranking officer. Um, something like that. So you're very careful. I'm very specific with what I want to do. Um, because you don't want to. I want to talk to the person who I saw in my bed last night. Uh, only that person. Right. And... That being specific is helpful. But the thing about the Ouija board is that you're basically opening up the spiritual door and yelling, come on in. Now, you wouldn't open up the door to your house and just let anybody walk through it. Right. But you do with the Ouija board. And so sometimes bad things walk through. Okay. 99 times out of 100 people use it and it's a game. But every so often the right combination of, of people with the right energy combination use it and it suddenly stops being a game. Because you're not actually calling on anyone in particular, you're just screaming out. Well, you're screaming out, and then your energy is such that it can it, that particular grouping of people that it can attach, okay. and um, it comes flying right in, going, "Oh, there's that invitation I've been waiting for." And where are they? They, the spirits. Is there like a ghost dimension? Like, it, like I yeah, the the ones that are just hanging out, I, I, waiting I, to come in. Well, well, ghosts and demons are different. Okay. But uh, if you're talking about ghosts, any person, if you ever did much reading on life after death experiences, people who go through that tunnel of light will talk about the gray beings off on the side. And I think that people who have yet to ascend to heaven, those are the gray people on the side. They've never crossed over. And um, But they're not staying here either. They're kind of in that middle ground and they sometimes turn back. Mm-hmm. And... Um, out of confusion or anger or fear or whatever it is. And demonics, I, I think they move in the spiritual realm most of the time. And they step down into our physical realm. If you really want to look at it as dimensions, that's fine. But that they have a dimension that they can walk in that's maybe a step away from ours. Like, 
off kilter from ours and they can step back and forth kind of like the infrared thing going in and out of it yeah and remember demons are exceedingly smart because they've had an eternity right to learn about human beings and how we think and feel and act and what have you and so matching wits with a demon is really difficult and it is not to be taken on lightly how have you gotten rid of them in the past i mean like what what are the steps you take to, to at get the end in? of the day whether i'm whatever the relics are i'm using or what have you i'm going to every time tell you it is all faith and i tell people before i start a case with them i'm telling tell you right now i'm going to walk this through as a judeo-christian person this is who i am this is what i am and i will not walk into a demonic case without my faith and it has got to be exceedingly strong. I pray. I ask God for protection. I ask that God send Michael and the warrior angels to protect us all. Um, and I'm praying the entire time. We anoint each other with oil before we go into a site where we know that's going to happen. We are very much um, full of prayer and protection, knowing full well that we in and of ourselves have nothing to do with this. We are not capable at all. It is our faith. And then from our faith comes God's power. And how often does something follow anybody home from a site? Does that ever happen? Ghosts will follow you home sometimes. Um, twice demonics. And, and that was those are dramatic cases that we'll talk about later. But ghosts will follow you home sometimes. And it happens for lots of reasons. Like you seem to overly um, friendly. And you reminded them of somebody that they knew in their lifetime. Or um, you invited them. I've had people say, oh, I wish that the ghost here would come home with me. And poof, there it goes. Um, because you invited it. And sometimes wittingly and unwittingly. I'm thinking of a case that we did where the grandfather used to appease the family. He did not believe the house was haunted by a little girl. And so when he went to pick his granddaughter up when she was five, she was crying and fussing and saying the ghost girl, Katie, wanted to come along. He's like, well, fine, just get in the car and Katie can come too. Now, his granddaughter was a little tiny petite brunette. And in the middle of the night, he wakes up to a hand on his arm. He rolls over fully expecting this little brunette child. And instead, he gets a seven-year-old little blonde girl, which is exactly how everybody described the ghost. And he just froze. And he's, he called his daughter as soon as he could move. And he's like, all right, now I believe you. Because I think she came with us. I told her she could, and she did. Mm -hmm. So if anything feels wanted, it's going to probably attach. Yeah. And yeah. she had permission. He said, you know, get in the car and come with us. So do they have to? Like, do they have to physically come and get in the car and tra and the car travels with them in it? They or can they, can they just go... Well, I'll find this guy and just like pop into his house. They don't have to find to travel with you. But perception is reality because that's what he told her to do. That's probably what happened. Um, but they don't have to. They right. can travel through space. Well, I was going to say that like it's very con it's always been very confusing because I'm like, well, don't they just sink through the floor? You know what I mean? Like, right. shouldn't they just be like descending into the core of Earth because they, they go through layers and st of stuff? You know, well, you have to think about it this way. Um. So you go to you go to a battlefield and this person recognizes you. They, you look like my brother. I'm just going to go stay close to you because you look like my brother. Mm -hmm. So when you get in the car, they just follow. Not because they have to, not because, you know, they need that car to transport, but because your energy feels good and you look like his brother. And 
It reminds him of something that he's missing. So he might just stick close to your energy. Mm. It's more of that than it is that they need the car to travel. Um, because, you know, originally ghost hunting, people think today now because of the industry that's grown up around it, that ghost hunting, you got to go to the haunted site. But that's not true. The original ghost hunters, people that did the EVP and stuff, they did it from their living rooms. They called the spirits to them. Right. So, well, I guess how, how does that work if, say, we'll just say a loved one, right, goes to a different place, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't, isn't able to observe while they're in said place, and then come back when they want to to check things out but do they get like like how do they know suddenly when to come back do they go spidey sense or something or? it's almost like there's a pull okay almost like a a, a little tug okay like that you need, need to, to go. go okay in this area let's go this way now okay um and that's really what happens with whenever we we work with the spirits is that when we're in an area they'll say people you know people on the other side told us to come to you you could help us so they kind of have that little pull that this is a place where they need to be right now. Okay. And then they'll be there and then it all gets figured out. And it's kind of instantaneous. Like you've you've told me about like somebody who was going to get in a car wreck and their dad or grandfather oh, showed up or something. In, in yes, the... the story it was from one of my older books. Um, and the lady was in, I believe it was Colorado on those mountain roads and it was middle winter and she lost her brakes going down this huge mountain. And she decides that she's going to um, open the car door as she goes around this one turn and jump because she knew the car was going to careen all the way to the bottom. And she thought for sure she would die if she was she made it to the bottom. So um, she gets the car door open and she's ready to jump. And all of a sudden she hears her dead father's voice from the passenger seat. And he said something like, you know, Suzanne, shut that door. And she slammed the door shut, grabbed the steering wheel and she rode it down. And when she gets to the bottom, she does wreck, but she's fine. The police officers come and she's basically, okay, rattled and bruised, but okay. And she says to the police officer, I was going to jump. And she tells him what she was planning. And he said, I am so glad you didn't do that because the force of you jumping would have kicked you back under the car and you would have been run over and killed. And she realizes that, you know, her father saved her life. It was the first and only time in her entire life she had any inclination that he might have come back. Okay. So there it is. He felt the pull and went and poof. Yeah. Like within a split second, he's he's there. So, well, that's cool. Yeah, I think people just, they get this perception of the afterlife as you go somewhere, you're done. You know, so it's it's like you've said about families, like they get upset because they think, oh, these people are back in our life and uh, that means they didn't get into heaven or they didn't get, you know... They must be stuck for some reason, and that's not the case. No. I, I feel like that's what a lot of people think, you know, just because of their faith, they think that once you get somewhere, you're done, you know? Well, remember, God's not nearly as narrow as a, as a religion, nor a denomination. And so there's a lot of stuff that's in denominations that's not in the Bible mm-hmm. or that's not religiously accurate, and it's parsed out and and as used as control mechanisms so um i i just go with what god does that's it and i'm not denominational because those straight jackets don't fit very well and they don't work long term they're only meant to control the living not the dead and so that might sound arrogant and i don't mean it to be that at all because i am a true believer in god um but 
if you think about it, what religious mechanisms were set in place for was for power and, and control, money and control. And so when you leave the money out of the mix, like much like I said, I don't charge for ghost hunting because when money's in a mix, it changes things. Um, God is not nearly as strict as religion is. So, you know, people can come back when they need to. People will sometimes not cross over yet. I think you have to cross over at some point, but God's a gentleman. And so he, he allows you time to get to that level if you're not able to emotionally. Um, and eventually you will go. I think that's why we don't see dinosaur, you know, caveman ghosts. Yeah. And stuff like that. Eventually we all make that journey. I always wondered about that. I'm like, why are, why are we at like... 1700s now you know you know like why are we kind of like there in like revolutionary warp time and and beyond you know right and that makes a i mean that would make sense why we don't see any cavemen yeah exactly eventually we do have to go and we will go in time it's just we got to make our sense and we've got to make our peace and it may take us a little while and you know god's infinite he can hang on there a little wait for us till we make it there most people, I think, go right away, I'm, gl- I'm glad to say. But even then, you can come back either for because you want to or because there's an emergency, like with that lady and her father. He saved her life. Mm-hmm. That's all he came to do. He never appeared to her. She never heard him again. But she knew clear as day she heard her father's voice from that passenger seat that day. So are there any ghost types that you think... don't exist such as like you hear pet ghosts like dogs and cats and it's very rare to hear about those but it's like why what happened to this one you know why why would that be do you think do you think there are cat ghosts out there i think there are but i want to say it this way i think it's more because we hold them there than anything yeah because they don't i can't imagine they'd have a will they can't understand language or well i mean they have a will and animals have spirits and have wills in, in that respect Right, but like to to make the decision whether to cross over or not, I think that's. I bet I think like I we had a cat. His name was Buddha, and he was this fat little orange tomcat with his belly that rubbed the ground because he ate too much, and he was only like six months old. And um, a, one of my son's girlfriends gave me a kitten for Christmas, and unbeknownst to any of us, the kitten had a disease, and so immediately it wiped out Buddha, and the other cat I had, and then this kitten died as well. Well, for months afterward, people would come in and say to me, um, he always liked this one corner in our den. And it, and I was always shushing him out of there because he liked to go back in here and pee. And people would come in and say to me, oh, you got another little yellow cat. And I'm like, no, I didn't. They're like, yeah, I just saw him in the den. And I, I don't know if he just didn't know to go on or what, but that stopped after four or five months. But at the very beginning, it was a very common event and I would catch it out the corner of my eye, this little orange streak going by. And then I realized it right away after people started talking about it. Oh, that's just Buddha. He hasn't figured out what to do yet. But um, I don't know if it was because we weren't that attached to him and that he's only six months old. But, you know, people. So it's probably on him. It was on probably you. on him in that instance. Because, but I do, but you can hold people and animals here. With your grief. That's one of the reasons that whenever we talk about people grieving too hard, that's one of the things that happens when you grieve too hard is they won't be able to cross over because you're holding them here with your grief. 
do you think but is that their choice to go oh they're so upset i need to stick around or do you think that's like a lasso in some respects i think it's almost a lasso it's an emotional lasso Mm -hmm. um i did tell you about a case where the woman thought she was being haunted by her daughter and here it turned out that it was a grief issue and um but i think that you and i do know that you can hold people here with your grief you can hold you ca- you cause so much pain that they can't leave they don't have it in them to go hmm. and that's one of the reasons that the grieving process i think exists because you need to grieve get it out of your system let them move on so why is that why are you able to why are they able to affect us we're able to affect them is it an energy thing that's the conduit like energy between all living beings or whatever i mean what is yes. what is energy i guess but well love but, but i think energy but and also love i mean because if you like i have had cases where i've had to say to people i understand you loved your husband or your son or whatever but you must let them go they're unhappy they're appearing to you they're unhappy it is time for you to cut them free and Every time this has ever happened, we've worked through a process with this, gotten them help with their grief, and they've come back later and said, there was this one night when I knew they had left. And you know what? It was freeing for me as well. Mm -hmm. Because grief is a chain that holds you. It holds them. And it's that energy and the love between us. And love is a very powerful emotion. It's a, it's something that's you know pushes out a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Or takes back a lot, a lot of energy. Holds back energy, yeah. So yeah, and and you know, and there's also that emotional tie that psychologically binds a person. You know, if your mom's grieving, are you just going to walk away? You're going to stay there and hold on and try to get her to yeah to help get help. I need help from my mom. My mom needs help. Help. You know, and I've had people say, tell my mother I'm okay. Mm-hmm. It's all right. She needs to let me go now. Right. Um, so, you know, if you love somebody, you're not going to walk away and just let them suffer. You're going to try to stay there and comfort them the best you can and look for a way to find help. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lot nicer than demons. I mean, it's for it for a, a good cause instead you know, of... I've been friends with John Zaffis a long, long time. And um, I remember years ago talking to John and him saying... Oh, John is the haunted collector, by yes. the way. Um, oh, every, his, I thought everybody, everybody show. knows Johnny. I mean, I'm sure if no one's ever seen that show then and they're not interested in this at all, they probably wouldn't know who he yeah. is. But yeah, that's that's but the haunted he's... collector on... Uh, it was on sci-fi. Yeah, and, it's, and the reruns are still going. But mm-hmm. to be honest with you, he's one of the most amazing human beings I've ever had the blessing to know. Um, his work goes far beyond haunted collector. And um, he's done many demonic cases and stuff. And I remember John telling me a story years ago about going to do a speaking engagement very early on in his career. And he started out talking about angels because he wanted to talk about and focus on good things, put Mm -hmm. good energy out in the universe. And he said, I was sitting there and people were yawning and they were like leaning on their arms. And and he said, I could see that I was losing them. He said, and I saw, he said, you know, if there are angels, there's also demons. And he said, I swear to you, they just sat straight up and were, oh, really? Let's talk about the demons. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about human nature that we want to talk about the negative and the bad. When we really should be focusing on the positives and the good. Well, 
Just look at a newscast. If it bleeds, it leads, right? Yep. And that's why I don't watch the news because <laughs> the, the negativity of it is just way too much. And I believe that what we really need to put into this universe is love and, and good energy. And hopefully that's what I, have, I, I try to do so often with everything we do. We do this because we care about people. We do this out of love. And everything that I try to do is try to be a positive force in the universe because we have way too much negative stuff out there already. Do you think that's increased with like today's society um, as well? And two, it's like, a, it's almost like a, a double edged thing. Like we're less spiritual now and have less faith for, if you just look at the world, you know, there's less faith out there and has that led to an increase in negative things, do you think? Or yes. is it just kind of how and, it always was? Well, I think there's always been negative. I won't lie and say that I don't. Um, but I think that lack of faith in some respects is also playing a part. But I also think if you want to know the truth, um, that social media and the instantaneous media, the 24-hour news cycle, all of that drives the negativity. Because if somebody... If there was a terrible crime in California, it would take a week for us to find out about it. Mm -hmm. In Pennsylvania, a hundred years ago. Right. And now every single negative thing that happens, and many that don't even, make it onto Facebook and, and all these different things. And it's just this huge cycle of negativity just swirling like a tornado of, of negativity that never ends political and social and criminal. And it just never stops. And if you watch... The negative posts get a hundred times more hits than the positive ones. Yeah, that's and, for sure. And I don't understand why we are that way. Um, so I am, you know, I deliberately, I, I try to stay off of Facebook as much as I can. I try to... Twitter is the real, ba the real battleground. <laughs> I told you about my experience with tweeting. I don't tweet. I just, I'm terrible at that crap. And I don't want to be. I, I don't have time for, I think it's a waste of our time. And it's, an, it's like I'm not a big TV person for the same reason. It's a waste of our time. I might watch something, but I try to pick only positive things. And in part because there's so much negative on some of the stuff I have to do that I combat it by being as positive as humanly possible in my own world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't do that. <laughs> I probably should. I, I like. I don't watch horror movies and and stuff like that. I do. That. Yeah. I mean, I'm not not that I've never done it. Right. But as I get older, I find less and less need for that, mm -hmm. and much more need for peace. And um, and you know, when I was 20, dude, I was watching you know, all the Romero films and eating pizza while they were getting people's brains chomped out. Yeah. Now I'm I was like everybody else, but um, as I've gotten older. I have learned to value love and peace and to put only those things into the atmosphere as much as humanly possible. And I know that sounds beatnik and like I, I really do have a mantra of peace, light and harmony. And a friend of mine laughed and he said, I expected you to pass, pass the bong when you first said that to me. <laughs> and I said, no, no, it's just that I believe that peace, light and harmony heal. They heal so much more. And in and, and the field of psychology, we are using that a lot. We talk about mindfulness. We talk about personal responsibility. We talk about good energy. And the, the field of psychology... Positive thinking. Yes. Especially. You know, the field of psychology is really embracing all of these positivities. We recognize that the energy we put out, what we think about is what we are. And it's true. If you have a person who has been browbeat in their whole life and they, they only can think of negative things... 
all that happens to them is negative. When you start changing their thought process, Mm -hmm. their life changes. I listen to Tony Robbins. So, I mean, seriously. (laughs) I mean, we and we do that. That's one of the things we do in the facility I work at. Mm -hmm. We start trying to do positive affirmations. And it's amazing. People come in and they'll tell you they're in so much pain and they can't do this and they'll never work again and blah, blah, blah. And a year and a half later, they're they're bursting through the door screaming, I just got my first job in five years. You know, I'm getting a house. And, and, and it's because of positivity. But that goes into everything, including the paranormal field. Mm-hmm. What you take into it is what you're going to get out of it. Well, you're definitely going to be better off even if you don't have a demon problem or a ghost problem no just just embrace the positives and the and the and the goodness of life and look for the positives and things and especially as a ghost hunter and doing the demon work that's exceedingly vital to my spirituality and to my own safety sake and i know that and i don't find the need for negativity anymore cool well i mean i think we covered a lot in this episode and i think uh people have a greater sense of you know, if there is something going on in their house, what it could be and maybe, you know, whether or not they need to call somebody about it or or whatever. It, it sounds like a lot of times it, when it's really serious and bad, it by the time you hear about it, it's almost too late that they've already experienced some right. hardships. So but if you're if you're looking to stop it on your own, don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Don't focus on the negatives. You know, bring only positive stuff into your world. You'd be surprised how much of this you can lay to rest on your own if you're just focusing on the positives. I always tell people, stop talking about it immediately. Stop focusing on it because you're putting energy into it. And eventually it will stop. That's good. Yeah, that's good advice. And and that's one reason we started this was just to help people. I mean, a lot of people, when it comes to the paranormal things, they just don't even know where to start. And hopefully we can give them that at least don't feel alone there are people out there you can reach out to sometimes it's especially with the demonics it's so lonely it's so terrifying and who do you tell because people roll their eyes at you you just got to have faith and hang in there and god will put the right people in your path and if you reach out to somebody and they don't know how to help you you know a lot of times if you reach out to me and i'm not you're not in the northeast i'm not going to be able to help you but i might know somebody else who can Yeah, and hopefully we have those type of people as guests on this show going forward so that we can hear their stories and and you can get to know if they're from your region or, you know, anything like that. So I guess moral of the story is whether or not you have a ghost problem, be good to each other. Amen. So long. (laughs) 